This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. The party arrived in the coastal town of Port Yale following their ordeal at the fortress of Kerudu, just in time to avoid being caught at sea in a storm. Holed up for two days, their companions spent their time in rest and recovery, as well as repairing and resupplying their equipment. Raylan inspected the spellbook recovered from the Serpent Queen's lair, discovering that he held the secrets of dark magic. Whilst Raylan was tempted by his power, wisdom prevailed, and instead, Raylan destroyed the dark tome in the hearth's fire. Later, they were escorted by a patrol of the town's garrison to meet the Reeve, Garrod, who had received a request from Granach of Halston that he should aid them in any way he could. Garrod praised the companions for their exploits at Keridu, and revealed that he had no love for Abd Wiglaf of Inis Gwyn, nor the brethren of the Purifying Light, before inviting them to join him for a feast in their honour. That evening, the companions, along with the crew of the Uvadaka, were held as honoured guests, though for those concerned, the celebration was bittersweet. Beric took the opportunity to ask Garrod if he knew anything about the mysterious Cirque, to which Garrod confirmed that he did, and told the story of a young man, many years ago, who developed the site, and how a strange woman came to the town seeking him, before they both vanished without a trace. Finally, Talion announced that he would like to perform for the assembled company, and with Garrod's leave, took the opportunity in the honoured hall to sing a lament for their fallen friends. Chapter 33, Part 1, Seven Days Ago Reynard of Harburg squinted as the afternoon sun beat down overhead, causing beads of sweat to break out on his bald pate. Wet sand flicked up from his horse's hooves as he spurred the animal forward along the causeway. Time was of the essence, and not just because of the risk of being caught safe from dry land when the tide turned. Innis Gwyn stood stark and proud against the horizon, and the cleric could not help but feel self-congratulatory. His plans were slowly coming to fruition, and Wiglaf was proving to be as useful a pawn as he had hoped. The abbot clearly thought himself clever, but all men have their vices, the cleric ruminated. Kernoth's had been lust, but that had proven to be too much of a liability. Wiglaf's, on the other hand, was envy and envy made the abbot yearn for power. That yearning proved fertile soil for the brethren. It was a simple matter to plant an agent in the monastery, 
and over time gained support for Wiglaf through blackmail and bribery. Poisoning the old abbot was an equally simple enough affair, and so with Wiglaf installed as the replacement, Reynard's pawn set policies which would economically weaken the lands held by Lord Petrock, thus weakening one of the king's important vassals, who had proven thus far hard to manipulate. Of the seven lords of the realm, three he had already brought to heel. Polmere was his first, of course. The man was a greedy fool, and the promise of the kingdom quickly sowed the seed of insurrection. Two more of the southern lords secretly pledged their support for Polmere, with bribes and promises of dominion over the mineral-rich Dragonspine Mountains. Cullum would blow with the prevailing wind, so long as it suited his own interests, and Trezic, as the weakest, would stay neutral in order to keep the peace and his position. That just left Conwyn and Petrock as steadfastly loyal to the king. If he could weaken them, the game would be won, and who knows, perhaps civil war could be avoided. Either way, with his puppet Polmere installed, and if he could reunite the Five Jewels, then his dream of a religious state would be realised. The means justified the end, he told himself. He would turn their own sorcerous power against the heretics, and Solon's pyre would burn brighter than the sun. He was close now, and the waves started to gently lap over the causeway as he reached the hallowed land of the Blessed Isle. Several monks working in the fields looked up as he spurred his horse onwards towards the monastery. Passing through the gates into the courtyard, a huge man with shaggy blonde hair and a scarnet accent <coughs> greeted him. Reynard noted the strangeness of the man's imposing physique and the simple rough-spun monk's habit that he wore. The man, who introduced himself as Brother Ranulf, handed the reins over to another monk and invited the cleric to follow him inside. Reynard proceeded to do so and was led past various chambers and around the cloister before following the big monk up some stairs to a second floor above the dormitory, which was barred by a door. The monk knocked. Come. A muffled voice responded. The big monk indicated that Reynard should enter before returning back down the stairs. Entering the chamber, the cleric found himself in a large study of surprising luxury given the usual discomfort of monastic life. A large desk stood at the far end, behind which the abbot sat, and there were two comfortable-looking chairs before it, upon which sat a mailed man. Ah, Reynard, welcome, Wiglaf said. Please, he added, gesturing to the seat, pouring the cleric a mug of mead. The mailed man did not look up, though Reynard knew who it was, and was expecting to find him. Thank you he said, taking the offered seat. He looked at the other man, and whilst he had been forewarned through Wiglaf's letter, the sight disturbed him still, for the man's eyes had been put out. The wounds had been healed, probably through prayer, yet the skin around the dark hollows was scarred, pink and puckered. Edric, my old friend, your sacrifice will not be forgotten. The gods willed it. The man, Adric, responded. I looked into the golden light of Solon as my eyes were taken. He added fervently. And what did you learn? Show him. Adric instructed Wiglaf. The abbot took a large but thin vellum scroll and unrolled it upon the desk. On its surface 
was a delicate rubbing of a large circular object, two feet in diameter. Lines crossed the circle, forming a pentagram, and at each point was a name. What is this? Reynard asked. An ink rubbing of a gold disc. These markings were on its reverse. Adric explained. Those names. They were the original keepers of the jewels following the defeat of Vortigern. So she was pleased with our gift. Aye, the girl served her purpose. But to be in that abomination's presence, to negotiate that... Adric blindly gestured towards the rubbing. Her acolytes demanded my eyes. Reynard leaned over and placed a hand upon the blind man's shoulder. You have served our cause well, my friend. There's more, Reynard. Wiglaf interposed, causing the cleric to turn towards the abbot. By searching the records, I managed to trace the line of master to apprentice for each of the keepers until fifty years hence. That, of course, is of limited use. But I also discovered their last known locations. Show me. Wiglaf produced another parchment. The information was in multiple sources, so I have documented it here. Reynard took the parchment, looking down at the list of names until the last entries. Three of those names he had already dealt with, Amos Ap Howan being the last, but the other two, these had eluded him for too long. A look of satisfaction spread across the cleric's face. We have them. Having recovered and resupplied from their ordeal at Kerodu, the party leave the sanctuary of Porthian on day 37 and sail back aboard the Uvadracha to Innis Gwyn in order to complete their mission and deliver the gold disc to Abbot Wiglaf. With the right conditions, and barring any encounter, the voyage of 30 miles should take no more than half a day. Time to find out what the journey has in store. Weather. 15. Warm and fine. Perfect sailing conditions. Stumble upon. 15. Nothing. Wandering encounters. A 2. An encounter is indicated. Rolling 3d6 on the ocean encounter table. 13. Let's see. Okay, the result is a naval vessel. But the question remains, what type of ship is it, and whom does it serve? Naval ships in Power and More tend to be either long ships, mainly used for raiding and skirmish warfare, or the larger cog vessel. A simple high-low roll on a d20 will determine which type the companions have encountered. Low will be a long ship, high will be a cog. A six. Okay. So now to establish which lord the ship is loyal to. As we've just heard, there are seven lords of the realm, plus the king. So I have created a random allegiance table for naval vessels, depending on whether the encounter occurs on the north or south coast of the peninsula. Time to find out. A 10. Lucky for the companions, the vessel serves Lord Conwyn. Just one more thing. I'm going to ask the oracle if Lord Conwyn himself is aboard. A three. That's a no but. Okay then, time to get back to the narrative.
Chapter 33 Part 2 Day 37 Morning Party status Beric, 28 out of 28 hit points Lena, 20 out of 20 hit points Valen, 15 out of 15 hit points Talion, 21 out of 21 hit points Knut, 23 out of 24 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push, Shield, Soothe, and Revive. Talion has memorized Poetic Prose, Resolve, and Pitch. Lena can pray for two first level miracles and one second level miracle. The Uberdracker's large square sail billowed out in the warm southwesterly wind, her bow cutting through the azure water with ease. With her dragon-tipped prow and shallow draught, it seemed as if the ship almost glided atop the waves, like a great winged beast. The crew were thankful at not having to row, for many a mug of ale had been drunk the night before, and most heads felt like they were being pounded by the blacksmith's hammer. But no greater tonic existed for the Scarnay than the open sea and a fresh morning breeze. After the feast, the companions had returned to the Black Gull, and here, in conference, Talion announced that he wished to accompany Beric, Lena and Valen, and aid them however he could. Knut, meanwhile, had pledged to take them back to Inisgwyn, and from there to the mainland. But the Skarne warrior had been torn. The Northmen stood on the platform at the ship's stern, the Uvadrakas' great steering oar in hand. When at sea, he and the ship were one. He was a Skarne warlord. His warriors and shield maidens were oath-bound to him, and he to them, and no greater fellowship could exist. He was a gold-giver, a silver-giver, and in return, his crew gave their loyalty, even unto death, as Yura and Bjorn had done. Part of him cursed the day that his father had led them raiding on these shores, and the obligations he now carried as a result. But looking down upon his men, he was thankful. Beric was making his way along the ship towards him. The warrior's hair and beard had not been cut for some time, and both were beginning to look wild. He had an expression of greeting on his face, and for a moment, Canute saw something familiar in the big man's blue eyes. It feels good to be back at sea, Beric grinned as he arrived on the steering platform. It was the first time he had smiled since Keir's death. Always. Knut agreed. I wanted to thank you. For what? For Kerodu, Beric replied simply, then added, Without your help, we would all be dead. Knut looked intensely at the big man, as if scrutinizing his face. Honor demanded it, and you have proven yourself a warrior equal to any I have known. I am proud to call you my brother. But before Beric could reply, Raven, Canute's second-in-command, called out, Lord, a ship! Canute looked to port, his gaze following the direction of Raven's outstretched arm, and there, on the horizon, was the unmistakable silhouette of a longship. Raven, get the men armed, and hang Lord Conwyn's banner from the yard. The Northman commanded, in a calm but firm tone. Raven nodded and began giving orders for the crew to equip themselves with spear, shield and helm, 
What think you? Friend or foe? Who knows? Best we be prepared. Knut gently pushed the steering oar, and the Uverdracker slowly turned towards the other vessel, which also seemingly had spied them, and had changed course in their direction. When the two ships were less than a quarter of a mile from each other, Beric shielded his eyes from the sun in an attempt to get a better look at the approaching vessel. From what he could tell, the ship was a similar size and design as the Uverdracker, and from its yard, Beric could see a green banner bearing the image of a white stag. It flies the Conwyn banner, Beric announced. There was relief in his voice. It's the Aramar, Knut confirmed. You know it? Beric asked. Aye, Conwyn liked the Uverdracar so much he had a ship built in its image. Indeed, as the ship came closer, Beric could see that the Eremor was almost a copy of the Uvadaka, although perhaps not as skillfully made, and instead of a dragon's head tipping the prow, it bore the visage of an eagle. The crew of the other ship were waving and smiling, and the Uvadaka's crew did likewise, but Beric's eyes were on the figure that stood near the prow, a grizzled warrior with a commanding presence, who the big man instantly recognised. It was Brannock. When I rolled against the Oracle to see whether Lord Conwyn was aboard, and the result was a no but, my thought was immediately that the ship would be carrying one of Conwyn's trusted retainers. The logical choice was for it to be Brannock. But why? And where is Lord Conwyn sending Halstone's Reeve? Time to let the dice decide. I think a d6 will do it. On a 1 to 2, Braddock is en route to see Lord Petrock on Conwyn's behalf. On a 3 to 4, Lady Neve has become sick, and the Reeve is heading to Innis Gwyn to obtain assistance from the monks. And on a 5 to 6, Braddock has been sent to locate the Uvadaka, given Canus has been gone longer than expected. Here is the roll. It's a 3. Knut and the helmsman of the Eremore carefully guided the two ships together before ropes were thrown and fixed, tethering the vessels to one another. Once secured, Brannock climbed over to the Uvadaka, clasping Beric's hand in greeting. Boy the gods, what are you still doing floating around the ocean? The Reeve asked in his usual brusque manner. It's a long story, Beric replied. Well, what are you waiting for? Fetch me a mug of ale and get to the talon. The others joined Beric and Braddock, and the companions relayed the events since they had last seen the older man. Once again you've done well, the Reeve said after they had finished telling their tale. I'm sorry for Keir. I liked him. He looked at Canute, and your folk also. I hate to lose good fighters. As for this Wiglaf, I have not met the man, but from his reputation... I cannot say I'm surprised, but I'll find out soon enough. Innis Gwyn is where I'm bound. Why is that, my lord? Beric asked. A cloud passed over the older man's face. Lady Neve has fallen ill. Lady Neve? Lena exclaimed in dismay. What ails her? Brannock looked at the cleric. 
That we do not know. My lady felt unwell two days after you left Tremenet. She fell asleep, and we've been unable to wake her since. That sounds like sorcery to me, Phelan Prophet. I fear you speak the truth. But there is a man, a monk, at Inisquin, who I believe can help. He used to be a warrior. He and I have stood in the shield wall together, and I trust him. Catfile is his name. We met him, Lord. He gave us information which aided our task at Kerodu. Oi, he's a good man. Brannock got up from the rowing bench on which he had been sitting. But we cannot sit here in the middle of the ocean all day. The reeve made to return to the Eremore. Canute followed him to the side of the ship. Brannock, a word, if I may. The two men conferred quietly for a few minutes, until Brannock nodded at the Northman and returned to his ship. The ropes securing the vessels were unbound, and the Uvadraka's crew used oars to push the two ships apart. Braddock waved back from the Eremore. Twenty shillings that we beat you to the Blessed Isle! He called with a grin on his face. Canute laughed. <laughs> Done. Then turning to Beric, the Northman bore a broad smile. He doesn't stand a chance. As the party approaches Innis Gwyn, I want to establish a couple of things. Firstly, I think it stands to reason that Valen would have examined the gold disc recovered from the fortress and found the markings on the reverse side. I also think it's reasonable to assume that he would draw a copy on parchment. There is of course a possibility that he may have heard the names of the original keepers of the jewels, even without having knowledge of their significance. I'm going to make an intelligence check for the mage, although as these mages lived over a thousand years ago, I'm going to apply a minus four penalty to the roll, meaning that Valen needs to roll a 12 or less. In addition, for every two points under that target, Valen would have heard of an additional name. For example, a roll of eight would mean that he has heard of three of the mages. Here is the roll. A 14. It would seem that these names are a mystery to the mage. Also, the party have taken with them Jenna, the woman they rescued from Kerodu. Lena has been spending time trying to coax her out of her shell. I'm going to make a charisma check for the cleric. If she succeeds, then Jenna may reveal some information of use. Lena's charisma is 13. Here is the roll. A five. Chapter 33. Part 3. Day 37. Afternoon. Party status. The party status is unchanged. The two ships pressed ever onwards towards the Blessed Isle, under the warm summer sun. The mood aboard the Uvadacha was noticeably lighter since meeting the Eremore, and the friendly race between the two vessels brought some much-leaded levity for all aboard. Even Jenna, whom the companions had brought on the journey, seemed to let her guard down, smiling occasionally at the joviality of the crew. They still did not know where she was from, or how she had come to be at Kerodu, 
and they did not feel right abandoning her in Portiane. Lena knew that Jenna would speak when she was ready, and since her rescue had simply been there, offering comfort and support in those times when the young woman was overcome by the memory of her ordeal. It was not in the cleric's nature to give up on a soul in distress. Lena had bought Jenna some new clothes in Portiane, and after the woman had symbolically burnt her old garments, she had also asked for a symbol of the Nine. Lena did not question it, supposing that Faith may bring her some solace, and Jenna had become preoccupied with touching the pendant, which she did almost constantly. The two women sat quietly on one of the benches near the Uvodraka's prow, looking back along the length of the ship. Valen was deep in conversation with Talion, and Beric stood alongside Knut on the steering platform. Lena was pleased that these two men whom she loved had found kindred spirits. She smiled softly to herself. She had even begun to come to terms with her scars. Her faith had saved her from death, and they were a reminder that the gods watched over her. Valen too seemed to care not, and perhaps, she thought, one day, after all this was over, the two of them may have a future together. She almost dared to hope. I used to think... Jenna said suddenly, drawing Lena's attention. The young woman had been holding the holy symbol in her hand. That, if I loved the gods, they would love me in return. Her raven hair blew free in the wind. Lena thought that she was probably a similar age to her. She was pale, and dark circles ringed her blue eyes, evidence that sleep remained elusive. The Nine do love us. We are all their children. Lena replied earnestly. But they still let terrible things happen. Jenna was clearly thinking of her recent ordeal. The Nine can guide us, and show us the path to wisdom. But like a parent, they must let their children make their own choices, yet be there to comfort us when we fall down. So I have myself to blame? Jenna bitterly remonstrated, turning on the cleric. Of course not, Lena countered with kindness. You are not to blame for the evil that lies in the hearts of others, but neither are the gods, she appealed. Look at my face, Jenna. Jenna's gaze remained hard, though Lena could see that she was looking at her scars. The gods did not do this to me, but their love is healing my soul, and that love can heal you also. Jenna's demeanour softened. Forgive me. Then added, You sound like my tutor at the temple. You are a priest? Lena was surprised by this revelation. A novitiate at the temple in Porth Cullen. Jenna clarified. Lena saw an opportunity to probe a little deeper. But how did you come to be at Kerudu? Jenna sighed, as if relaying the tale would be a great burden. My tutor, Brother Ewan, introduced me to a pair of clerics. Their names were Reynard and Adric. Hearing the name Reynard sent a shiver down Layla's spine, but she said nothing. They told me that Adric was going to perform some missionary work and that I had the honour of being selected to accompany him. She explained. Ewan pressed that I should accept. He said it would be good for me to experience the world beyond Porth Cullen. 
Jenna's lower lip began to tremble, and she turned her head away. I trusted him. Lena took Jenna's hand in her own. I know what it is to trust someone, only to be betrayed. But I can tell you this. To have one's heart open to trust is to follow in the footsteps of the Nine. Jenna nodded, wiping her eyes before continuing with her story. So I went with Adric. He told me we were to convert a remote community of pagans. I thought it would be a dream to preach the word, but all I found was a nightmare. Jenna looked back at Lena. Adric offered me to those men. He told them that I was a gift for their queen. Jenna's voice began to rise in relived panic. I tried to run, but those snake things caught me. I... No more, Jenna. Lena interrupted. No more. The two women sat in silence for a few minutes, holding hands. Lena looked out to the west, the afternoon sun glistening on the water. In the distance, the monastery of Inisquin was faintly visible. Look, the Blessed Isle. Jenna looked up, and for a moment it seemed to Lena that the young woman gripped her hand more tightly. Wiglaf, Jenna murmured. Lena looked at the young novitiate. You've met the abbot? The cleric asked, somewhat surprised. Only once. Jenna replied. He and Adric were friends. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Once again, where would I be without my amazing and growing cast of voice actors? Newcomer to the show, voicing Adric, is Jordan Carmichael. Jordan is a cast member of Modified Role, a 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. You can find Jordan on X under the handle at wishiwasabard. Another newcomer to the show, playing the role of Jenna, is Fiona K.T. Howard. Fiona is an improviser and actor who established the What Am I Rolling and the GM's Book Club podcasts. You can find Fiona at www.flowcode.com forward slash page forward slash FKTH. Returning to the role of Abbot Wiglaf is Robin Sampson. Robin is the creator of his own hybrid solo actual play podcast, Stories from the First Watch. If you like what I do here, then you should definitely check out Robin's show. Finally, returning once again in the role of Canute is John Cohen, creator of Tale of the Manticore. My sincere thanks to each and every one of you. I will put these wonderful folks' links in the show notes. You can also help by liking or reposting new episode announcements, or by recommending the show online or to a friend. You really can't beat the power of word of mouth. Alternatively, if you'd like to show your appreciation by buying me a metaphorical cup of tea, then I now have a Kofi page at ko-fi.com forward slash legend of the bones. Any donations will go towards the show's running costs. I would also love to know what you think of the show, and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on X at Legend Bones, Blue Sky at Legend Bones, 
Mastodon at legendbones at ttrpg-hangout.social Instagram at legendofthebones Email at legendofthebones at gmail.com or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, house rules, character profiles, art, maps and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Hey, listen. Do you know your D8s from your D12s? Do you know your modifiers from your bonuses? Do you know your destiny points from your story points? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Either way, you should check out What Am I Rolling? A twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Catch up on previous episodes on the What Am I Rolling website, that's www.wairpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, adventurers need not apply.